Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Okay, do you have your phone with you? Would you hold up your phone? All right. I have a love-hate relationship with this thing. Uh, a love-hate relationship with a lot of technology. Um, I, I, but one of the things I love about it is the amount of knowledge that is literally at your fingertips is, is just amazing. And I, and I love that feature. I love knowing things. I love being able to just... Uh, have a conversation about something or, or read something and think, I want to know more about that. And you just at the, at, at your voice or your fingertips, you can find out what you want to know. Just, just over the last, I just looked it up this morning. Uh, over the last 24 hours, I've looked up, um, what the weather is like here and in many other places. By the way, it's colder here than in Buffalo, New York. Did you know that? <laughs> See, I know that. See, cause I looked it up. <clears throat> Um, I looked up because of a conversation with someone, the ethnicity of the name Abusi. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? But I wanted to know. And so I looked it up. Um, I looked up last night. Why can I not pause the game while watching it on Peacock? That was very frustrating to me. And so I looked that up because I wanted to know. So, so we have incredible amounts of knowledge at our fingertips. This morning, one of our members looked up how many times in the Bible the word cold is mentioned. 27, by the way, in case you wanted to know that. Okay, but this, this can give me a lot of knowledge. But one thing it cannot give me is wisdom. No wisdom. We need knowledge and we need wisdom. And this morning, we're going to look at a prayer that Paul prayed for us. And it's a prayer for knowledge and for wisdom from Ephesians chapter 1. Well, I'm beginning a series today that I've called How to Protect Your Family from Spiritual Attacks. And I want to give a couple of disclaimers as we begin, and, and the first disclaimer just has to do with, with the title. As Americans, we typically think of ourselves, we typically think in terms of the individual, so it would be usual that we would say how to protect yourself from spiritual attack. But the Bible talks most about community. The Bible doesn't talk about the individual as much as it talks about us within the community, whether that is our family, whether that is our church, whether that is in, in the world. And so as we uh, take a few weeks and we talk about protecting ourselves, protecting our family, protecting our church from, from spiritual attacks, I want us to think about how my own life, my, my own battle affects those around me. The way I conduct myself spiritually has a huge impact on the people that I am in relation with. First and foremost, my family, uh, though my, my immediate family, but even my extended family. My spiritual life is connected in a way that we don't really fully comprehend or understand, but that is a reality. And also, my spiritual life and the decisions I make and the conduct that I have and, and the victories that I have and the defeats that I have, they affect the church. They affect our brothers and our sisters. And so I want us to think about this in, in terms of community, in terms of our family, in terms of our, our church, the larger body of Christ. And so in the series, I'm going to try to give some really practical, some specific, specific help in protecting, 
in defeating the enemy in the attacks that he brings toward us. We saw in the last series we did around Christmas that the enemy has turned his gaze to us and turned his attention to us. And he wants nothing but harm for us. He wants to kill us is what he wants to do. And so we want to be strong and we want to have victory and we want to be have the tools and, and the weapons at hand to to have victory and to protect our families from from spiritual attack. As I begin the series this morning, I'm going to go in a little bit different direction, though, as we get started. And I want to let you know about a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And I believe that he prays it for us as well, or he prayed it for us as well. It's a prayer that I am praying for us. It's a prayer that our elders are praying for us. And we find the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. And as I said in the welcome, it's a prayer for knowledge, and it is a prayer for wisdom. And there, there is some knowledge that we need to have. There are some things that we need to know If we're going to be in this battle, and we are, and if we're going to have victory over Satan. But there's also some wisdom that we need to have as we engage in the battle. And so things we need to know and some wisdom we need to have to use the things that we know. And here's Paul's prayer from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious Father. May give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart. May be enlightened. In order that you may know. The hope. To which he has called you. The riches. Of his glorious inheritance. In his holy people. And his incomparably great power. For us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head Over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Paul prayed that prayer. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul as he wrote that prayer. And it's a prayer that asks for knowledge. It's a prayer that asks for insight. It's a prayer that asks for wisdom. It's a prayer that asks for light. It's a prayer that asks for growth. That's the way that Paul prayed for the saints. That's the, way, that's the way Paul prayed for his churches. He prays a very similar prayer over in Colossians as he prays over the Christians there. He says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. 
We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow to learn to know God better and better. Do you see the common threads in those prayers? This is what Paul wanted for the church. And these are the kind of prayers we need to be praying for ourselves. The kind of prayers we need to be praying for our families. The kind of prayers we need to be praying for each other and for the church in general. This combination of, of wisdom and knowledge that leads to fruitful lives, that leads to lives that please God, that leads to lives that are, are, are growing on the vine of Jesus, that leads to a deeper and a richer understanding of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the, the kind of wisdom and knowledge that leads us to live victorious lives in Christ Jesus in the world as we face the enemy. And I think one of the most important things about this is that it is a prayer that communicates something to us. And I think the very first lesson, if you follow along in your outline, you can fill this in. The very first lesson we see here that because this is a prayer is that knowing begins with kneeling. If you want to know God, if you want to know more about God, if you want to gain this knowledge and this wisdom about God and about godly living, knowing begins with kneeling. It begins with prayer. It begins by seeking God, by seeking the Holy Spirit. Paul, for Paul, knowledge is so much more than just academic knowledge. So much more than just gaining more facts. Paul doesn't pray that they would read their Bible more or that they would go to Bible class more. He prays that they would receive a spirit from the Holy Spirit, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of knowledge, a spirit of insight, a spirit of revelation. He prayed that some a supernatural light from above would flood their hearts and their minds so that they would know. He prays in another prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that not only that we would know, but that we would experience these truths, experience the love of God. And that these blessings would come from above. And so if you want to be filled with the knowledge of God. And how many of you do want to be filled with the knowledge of God? If you want to be filled with the knowledge of God. You must first be filled with the spirit of God. To, to receive. We talked about that last year. To receive the Holy Spirit. Because scripture is clear. We cannot know God absent from his spirit. It is by his spirit that he is making himself known to us. We cannot know godly truth unless the spirit helps us receive it and understand it. That's what Paul says very explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. So without the spirit, what then? It seems like foolishness. And they cannot understand them because they are discerned, discerned. These things from the Spirit are discerned only through the Spirit. And so knowing begins with kneeling and seeking God and asking for a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation and a spirit of understanding, humbling ourselves before God, asking for His Spirit, asking to be enlightened so that we will know what we need to know and have the wisdom to use it practically 
in our lives. So knowing begins with kneeling. But then as we go through this prayer, I just want to highlight this morning what it is that Paul wants us to know. He gives us a few things there in these following verses. And the first thing Paul wants you to know is that your hope is unassailable. Paul wants you to have hope. Hope is is such a precious thing. If you've been in a hopeless situation, you know how just a glimmer of hope is something to hold on to. Don't lose hope, brothers and sisters. God wants you to know that. God wants you to know that deep, deep down in your very being that your hope is unassailable. It's the kind of hope that, that, that Paul writes about in Romans 15. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you with joy and with peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I was typing this this sermon, I accidentally typed hype instead of hope. And it, it made me pause. Because I'm not talking about hype, folks. I'm not talking about creating some feeling. I'm not talking about conjuring up some emotion. I'm talking about God, the source of hope, through the Holy Spirit, revealing to you in such a way that you will have hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the road looks like, no matter what the attack of the enemy that is coming against you, that you will have hope. And here's the reason that it's not hype. Because it is directly connected to the reality that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's why we have hope. That's the living hope. That Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into living hope. Why is it living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. You can have hope. Nothing can come against it. Nothing can take it away. Our hope is unassailable because it is grounded in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not hype, but hope. Second thing, Paul really wants us to know, to understand, to have wisdom about, to be enlightened about. And that is that you will know that his riches are inexhaustible. Do you know of anything right now? Do you know of anything that's inexhaustible? I mean, in your life, is there anything that they're just, it'll never run out? God's riches are inexhaustible. They will never, ever be exhausted. They'll never run out. The temple in Jerusalem had storerooms that were built all around the temple. And in these storerooms, the people would bring gifts to God and they would fill these storerooms with with grain and with oil and with with wine and and with money with other gifts and and they would fill those storerooms but the temple in heaven has storerooms brothers and sisters they're not filled with things we're bringing to god they're filled with the things of god that god is giving to us his his riches 
are, are stacked and heaped in his storerooms and they will never ever run low. Jesus, God never goes into his storeroom of love or his storeroom of grace or his storeroom of peace or his storeroom of hope. He never goes in and opens the door and goes, oh my goodness, we're almost out of love. It never happens. His riches are inexhaustible because he personally is the source of everything that is good. And, and you just start going through scripture and let's think about some examples in a tangible way that remind us that God's riches are inexhaustible. One of the first ones I think about is God's riches are so inexhaustible that for 40 years, every single morning, his people opened their tent and walked out and what was on the ground? Manna. He fed them the bread of heaven every day for 40 years. And it didn't end because it ran out. It ended because his promise was fulfilled. And they walked into the promised land and he gave them the fruits of everything that was there. His riches are inexhaustible. I think about Jesus and the 12 and the 5,000 men plus the women and children who are sitting in a field or on a hill or whatever that scene looked like. And Jesus, who is the source of inexhaustible riches, took a couple of fish and, and a few loaves of bread. And what did he do? He blessed it and he fed everybody to the point that there was still 12 baskets full left over. God's riches are inexhaustible. These, these practical lessons teach us that. I was thinking about Elijah and, and the widow that he was at. But you know what? I found another story I had forgotten all about. It's not the widow he ended up living with that God produced bread. But there was a widow who came to Elijah. And she said, my husband was a prophet. And he had a debt when he died. He was, in other words, he was a good man, but he died and he died with a debt. And now the, the collectors are coming and they're going to take my sons and they're going to sell them into slavery to pay off the debt. Would you please help me? Here's what Elijah, the prophet of the inexhaustibly rich God said to her, go throughout the village and gather every single jar or vase or container that you can find. Bring them to your house. So she did. She sent her sons out and neighbors and they collected all the jars and she filled her house with jars. And then he said, okay, take the one jar of oil that you have left. The oil she was going to use to cook bread with. Take the one jar that you have left and just start pouring it into the other jars. And faith she did. And do you know what? That one jar just kept filling until every single jar in her house was full of oil. And then he said, okay, go sell all that oil. You can pay off your debt. Protect your sons. God has inexhaustible riches. They'll never run out. And the Bible says that we are lacking in nothing. That we possess everything we need for godliness. For knowing God. Because we are his adopted children. He has, he has adopted us into his family. Therefore, Along with Jesus, back to Romans chapter 8, we are co-heirs. We will receive as an inheritance what God has. And so he says to us, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find knock and the door will be opened. Whether that's 
power or authority or grace or forgiveness or or love or life or self-control. Whatever it is that you need for godliness, you possess it. Ask for it. His riches are inexhaustible. And he also wants us to know that his power is incomparable. His incomparably great power. What kind of power does God have? His voice is so powerful that he said, let there be light. And there was. His imagination is so powerful that he imagined and designed and created the world and spoken into existence. From, from the reality that every single tiny snowflake that falls is unique and beautiful and different than any other one. From, from the reality that he created this, this eye. And, and apparently what I've been told is, is our eyes and the entire system of seeing is one of the most complex systems in all the universe. The solar system that he created still functions and moves according to the law that he gave it when he created it. His incomparably great power. His arm is so powerful that he crushed Egypt. It would be like crushing the United States. The most powerful nation in the world at the time. And he crushed them with his arm. He sent plagues. He crushed their economy. He crushed their livestock. He crushed their, their produce. He crushed their religion. He crushed their life. His wind was so powerful that it just opened up a lane through the sea so that his people could pass through to safety. His unseen forces are so powerful that even though the enemy didn't know they were there, God blinded an entire army of Aramean soldiers. His, his might is so powerful that a young shepherd was able to bring down a giant with one stone. His hands are so powerful that he gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute, mobility to the crippled, life to the dead. His power is incomparable. So what can God not do for you? What can God not do for his church? What can God not do against the enemy? What scheme of the enemy cannot be defeated? What victory of the enemy can you not have with his incomparably great power? That's what Paul wants you to know as you're seeking through the spirit wisdom and knowledge. And the last one that's mentioned here is that his authority is incontestable. Nothing can contain, uh, can contest his authority. There's no election that they're trying to figure out whether it was legitimate or not. His authority. Did I just say that out loud? His authority is incontestable. He wants us to know that. How do we know? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. And then after raising him from the dead, he raised him even higher. We just sang such a beautiful song about that. We adore him because God has seated him in the heavenly realms. God gave him the place of honor at the right hand of the throne 
where God sits. And he is still there. Seated. His authority is incontestable. It's far above any other ruler. It's far above any other authority. It's far above any other name that anyone might try to invoke. Whether that's in the physical realm or in the spiritual realm. God has given Jesus all authority. How does Jesus use it? For the benefit of his church. For the benefit of you and me. All authority. And and Jesus knew he had received all authority. That's why at the very end, before he ascended to this place of honor, he said to the twelve, and I believe he says it to us as well. I really do. He said, all authority has been given to me. I'm giving it to you. That's amazing. He said, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you authority to go preach about the kingdom of God. I'm giving you authority to baptize. I'm giving you authority to make disciples. I'm giving you authority to proclaim the kingdom. I'm giving you authority to bring healing, to bring freedom. Those things always accompany God's kingdom. I'm giving you authority over your enemy, the devil. You can resist him and he will flee. We're going to learn about that from James. There is nothing, there is no one who can ever successfully contest the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants you, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that deep in your being. That's what Paul prayed. That's what I'm praying for you. That's what our shepherds are praying for you. That we'll know it, that we'll understand it, that we'll comprehend it, that we'll be enlightened Because when you're enlightened by the Holy Spirit with this revelation of wisdom and I mean this, yeah, with wisdom and knowledge, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation, then you're going to be filled with hope, knowing that you lack nothing. You're going to grasp the power and the authority that is yours in Christ. And you will absolutely be able to have victory for yourself And for your family. We're going to get specific about that. But don't pass over. Starting on your knees. And praying. Don't rush past. This important beginning. Receive God's Holy Spirit. Through him. Gain wisdom. And knowledge. So that the eyes. Of your heart. 